At the Canaan Church, our mission is bringing people to Christ and helping every person to become a mature disciple in Christ. Canaan Christian Church, where people dare to dream. Would you join with me now for a word of prayer? Our Father and our God, we thank you for this day, for the gift of life and for all of your wonderful blessings. We're glad to be in your service one more time. God, as we now receive your word, give us open hearts and open minds to receive, God, what you're about to deposit into our spirit. I pray now, God, that you get the glory because you're God by yourself. And I thank you that your word will not go out and return void, but it will accomplish the purpose for which it was sent forth. Now, Father God, bless the person who sits beside me. Show yourself strong on behalf of my brother and my sister. And then, God, I pray now that you will let fresh anointing remain upon our lives. And then, God, I ask as always that you'll let the words of my mouth and the meditation of my heart be acceptable in thy sight, O Lord, my strength and my redeemer. Amen. Come on, let's put those sanctified hands together. Let's give God some glory. Let's give him some honor. Let's give him some praise. Amen. I am doing the third part of a three-part series of teaching revelation that God is pouring into our house I began this series by doing a public prayer for our church, and the prayer itself was the message, and that prayer was preparatory to the second part of the revelation. On last Sunday, I talked about, I need you to carry your corner. And that message was in preparation for the message today, the teaching today, which would be entitled, Embrace God's Vision. Embrace God's vision. Let me thank again everyone who is joining with us virtually today in this worship experience and to all of our members who are virtual members and covenant partners and everyone who is joining with us. If you'll just call the church office and ask to speak with Cassie Engelking, if you do not already have this pamphlet, we gave it out once before. We just did it again today because it is so important that everyone has a copy of this. But if you don't already have this, if you call the church office at 459-5578, Cassie's extension is one-on-one. We will make sure that you receive this either by email or uh, even sending a hard copy to you but perhaps more so by email because we want everyone to have a copy of it. For the biblical basis for this teaching today, there are two passages of scripture that I want to raise in your hearing. One will be found in the book of Isaiah chapter 43 and beginning with verse 18 and the second passage will be found in Ephesians chapter 3. But in Isaiah chapter 43, beginning with verse 18, the word of God reads like this. Do not remember the former things, nor consider the things of old. Behold, I will do a new thing. Now it shall spring forth. Shall you not know it? I will even make a road in the wilderness and rivers in the desert. Put particular emphasis on the 
8th portion of verse 19. Behold, I will do a new thing. And then if you'll turn with me to Ephesians uh, chapter 3 and read in verses 20 and 21, a very familiar passage of scripture. Ephesians chapter 3, verse 20 and 21. Now to him who is able to do exceedingly, abundantly, above all that we ask or think, according to the power that works in us, to him be glory in the church by Christ Jesus to all generations forever and ever Amen. Amen. You may be seated in the presence of the Lord. I am teaching today from this idea, embrace God's vision. I open this teaching today by reminding you that you are a special person. I open this teaching today reminding everyone that you are a special person. And the reason you are a special person is because you were created and redeemed by God to be the expression of his glory. In the book of Genesis, in Genesis chapter 1, verse 26, we are told that God has a rhetorical conversation with himself. And God says, let us make man in our image and in our likeness. That means that you have the Omega Dei stamped upon your soul. And in that conversation that God has with himself, when he says, let us make man in our image and in our likeness, he goes on and says that man is to live in the place of dominion. We are to live in the place of dominion. When you go to Genesis chapter 2, verse 15, God says to Adam that I want you to tend and keep the garden so that God gives purpose to humanity because God says, I'm going to create you in my image and in my likeness, and then I'm going to give you the purpose. I'm going to give you the responsibility. I'm going to give you the vision of being the caretaker of the world that I have created. You will be the steward of the earth realm because I created you to live in the place of dominion. And this, this affirmation, this confirmation that when God created the world, that humanity was the apex of his creation is given to us in the book of Psalms in the 8th Psalm. Listen to how the psalmist speaks of the grandeur of God's creation and reminds us that we are special people. The psalmist says, O Lord, our Lord, how excellent is your name in all the earth who have set your glory above the heavens. Out of the mouth of babes and nursing infants, you have ordained strength because of your enemies that you may silence the enemy and the avenger. 
When I consider your heavens, the work of your fingers, the moon and the stars which you have ordained, what is man that you are mindful of him and the son of man that you visit him? For you have made him a little lower than the angels and you have crowned him with glory and honor. You have made him to have dominion over the works of your hands. You have put all things under his feet, all sheep and oxen, even the beast of the field, the birds of the air and the fish of the sea that pass through the paths of the seas. O oh Lord, our Lord, how excellent is your name in all the earth. Our God is a great God and he's greatly to be praised. I said our God is a great God and he's greatly to be praised. I said one more time if I need to, I said our God is a great God and he's greatly to be praised. And he made you and I in his image and in his likeness. He created us to live in the place of dominion. We were, we are the apex of God's creation. Let there be no doubt about it. You are a special person. Now all of us are keenly aware of the fact that our lives have been tainted by sin. And yet God loved us so much that he wouldn't let us go. And he gave his son, Jesus Christ, to die on a cross that it might be possible that you and I could be restored and redeemed in our relationship with God. So we're told in Romans chapter 6 verse 23, the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life. 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 You can't earn it, you can't work for it, and you can't pay for it. Salvation is a gift to us from God. And then in John chapter 10, verse 10, Jesus himself says, the thief cometh not but to steal, kill, and destroy. But I have come that you might have life and have it more abundantly. Beloved, the abundant life is not the house you live in. It is not the car you drive. It's not the clothes you wear. And it's not the money you got in the bank. The abundant life is to be seen in the purpose for which God has created you and a purpose that is magnified and manifested in your life through God's joy, his peace, his anointing, his presence, his power, his confidence, his assurance. That's how you know that you have the abundant life because you have what you can't buy at Kroger's. You have what time can't take and what death cannot destroy. And it's all been made possible because of the finished work of Christ on the cross. Look at somebody, tell them, say, 
I'm a child of God and I know I'm special come on look at somebody else tell them I'm a child of God and I know I'm special Isaiah chapter 43 Isaiah chapter 43 is the is found in the second portion of the book of Isaiah it's found in that part of the book of Isaiah where the prophet talks to us about restoration and reformation reformation has to do with the renewing in our hearts of a passionate desire to receive God's purpose. It is this passionate clarity to understand God's purpose for our lives. It is a reawakening of having a love for God's truth and God's standards. It is the preparation of the presentation of a glorious salvation wherein we reshape every aspect of our lives and the church to that end. What we need in the world today is not so much a revival as we need reformation because revivals often take us back to doing the former things that we had already been doing. But reformation brings about a change. Reformation repositions us to receive and operate in a place with God that we had not operated in before. And when you look at the context of our text, our text is Isaiah chapter 43, verses 18 through uh, and 19. But when you look at Isaiah chapter 43, if you were to start with the first verse, you'll see the context of our text. And when we look at the context of our text, we recognize that in Isaiah's uh, message of reformation, he speaks to us about four points or four principles. He speaks to us about the problem that God confronts, the remedy provided by God's grace, the reason for God's intercession, and then finally, the outcome of our experience. And in this particular text, this pericope of Isaiah chapter 43, verses 18 and 19, the prophet is reminding us that when we speak of reformation, he is reminding us that we serve a God who intervenes in the affairs of his people. He's the God who's always bringing about a spiritual transition in our lives. When you look back at biblical history and you look at the Jewish people, you can see that God intervened in their life. You remember when Israel was in bondage in the land of Egypt and God sent Moses and allowed them to be delivered from captivity in Egypt and gave them an exodus out of the land of Goshen. 
And then again, more particularly to this text, the children of Israel found themselves in bondage again, but this time in the land of the Babylonians. But again, God intervenes and he delivers them out of Babylonian captivity, which means he gave them another Exodus. And I want you to know this morning that the same true and living God who gave Israel an exodus time and time again, he is the same God who gives us, he's the same true and living God who gives us an exodus today. Because God never works or operates out of his character. Let me say that again. God never operates out of his character. And it is God's modem operandi to give his people an exodus. So that, and he does it, beloved, not because we deserve it, but he does it because of who he is. Our God is our redeemer and we belong to him. And so he gives us an exodus because he's the God who his ultimate purpose is to magnify himself for the glory of his grace and for our everlasting joy. Let me say it again. What is God's ultimate purpose? God's ultimate purpose is always to magnify himself for the glory of his grace and for our everlasting joy. So the God who gave Israel an exodus over and over again is the God who gives us an exodus today. To say that God can give you an exodus is to say that God can give you deliverance. Because God is not going to let anything or anyone keep you in a captive condition wherein his purpose for your life will not be fulfilled. God finishes what he starts. A hallelujah goes right there. I'm going to say it again. God finishes what he starts. And he will intervene in the affairs of your life to ensure that you get to the place where he always wanted you to be and that you operate in the purpose that God has sovereignly designed for your life. We have been in a pandemic. God is still bringing us out of the pandemic. We're not completely out, but we're not where we were two years ago. And God, in his own way and in his own time, he's bringing us out. And the reason he's bringing us out and the reason why he has sustained us is because of the purpose that he has ordained for our lives. I don't know about you, but I'm glad today that I serve a God who knows how to give me an exodus. I'm grateful that I serve a God who knows how to deliver me. That's why the 
song that the praise team sung right before this message is so befitting. I don't know how God does it. He just keeps on doing it Sunday after Sunday. The songs match up with the message and I haven't even talked to Joe. But they said he keeps on blessing me. And that's what God does. He just keeps on blessing us. He keeps on protecting us. He keeps on taking care of us. As a matter of fact, he does things in our lives for which we haven't even asked him for. You ought to praise God that he didn't withhold a blessing from you because you didn't have enough sense to ask him for it. Isn't he a good God? Come on, isn't he a good God? Come on, isn't he a good God? And he's worthy to be praised. Yes, he is. And so I thank God for what he's doing with us now. I said I thank God for what he's doing with us now. I do not believe that God caused the pandemic. Let me say it again. I do not believe that God caused the pandemic. But I do believe that because he's a sovereign God that he, he, he never lost control even in the midst of the pandemic. Because since he's a sovereign God, he has a permissive will. And sometimes God will allow things to happen in order to, to open our eyes, in order to give us an awakening, in order to tell us time out. And I believe that he used the pandemic to reset the world because the world was way out of line. To reset the church because seemingly that the church had lost her focus. And to reset our lives. To remind us that we don't belong to ourselves but that we belong to God. I said I don't believe God caused the pandemic but I believe he uses the pandemic to reset the world to reset the church and to reset our lives. And so in Isaiah chapter 43, the prophet says, behold, God says, I do a new thing. Don't spend so much of your time looking in the past that you miss out on what God is doing in the right now. Don't spend so much time in yesterday that you don't perceive what God is doing today. Because the truth of the matter is you cannot go back and relive your life. You can't go back and relive yesterday. What you do have is today. And what you can have is a tomorrow. God says, behold, I do a new thing. Now it shall spring forth, shall you not know it? I will even make a road in the wilderness and rivers in the desert. That's God's way of saying that what I'm about to do is going to be so miraculous that I'm going to do the unexpected. 
And I got somebody here who knows that God specializes in making a way when there appears to be no way. Somebody here still believes in miracles, in signs, and in wonders. And so out in the hallway, and this is why I want you to look at this pamphlet. Now, if you open it up and look at it and join with me, because this pamphlet gives you the eight core principles and values of our church. Eight core principles and values of our church. And out in the concourse, there are eight beautiful artistic paintings that now represent these eight core principles and values. And these beautiful artistic paintings were done by our marketing person, Janet Lasley. And I think we ought to give her a hand clap of praise. And I want to plead with you. I want to lovingly plead with you that you would make sure that you go into the concourse, if not today, as soon as possible. Go by each painting because contained in the painting, you will see the principle contained in that particular painting. Look at the painting, read the principle, and my prayer is that these eight core principles and values will get so deep in your spirit that you will remember them, even to the degree that you'd be able to quote them without even having this pamphlet in your hand. Listen very carefully what I'm about to tell you. Reputation is what other people say about you. Character is who you are. Reputation is what other people say about you. Character is who you are. Character is formed out of principles and values. And as Christian people, if we don't live our lives based on biblical principles and values, our character is going to be twisted and we're going to misrepresent God. I said as Christian people, our character is formed by biblical and Christ-centered principles and values. As Christians, if we don't live our lives based on biblical and Christ-centered principles and values, our character is going to be twisted and we're going to misrepresent God. I would also tell you that any church that does not operate in terms of her ministry and her mission based on principles and values is not an authentic church. Because it takes more than being in a building, having a cross on the top of it, and a marquee outside, and having an emotional good time on the weekend. It takes more than that to be a church. To be a church, you have to be a covenant group of people who have come into a sincere and serious covenant relationship with God and with one another. The Christian faith has nothing to do with religion, 
with rules and with regulations. The Christian faith has nothing to do with rules, with regulations, and with rituals. The Christian faith has nothing to do with religion, with rules, with rituals, with regulations, but it has everything to do with our relationship with God. And as a church, if we say we have a relationship with God, that is to say then that our ministry and our mission is based on a set of core principles and values that are to be found in this book called the Bible. So if we're going to be an authentic church, we must take those core principles and values and then operate in such a way that they become a manifestation and a reality in the life of our church. So one of the core principles and values of our church is we are committed to making disciples through the study of the Word of God. At the Canaan Church, we're not just trying to have members. Our goal is to help every person to become a mature disciple by teaching them the Word of God. A second principle at the Canaan Church is that we are committed to the principle of prayer because we need God's power to do ministry. Some people may feel like they don't need God, but for you and I, we're saying, I got to have Jesus because I just can't make it by myself. Our grandparents said, take your burden to the Lord and leave it there. They taught us how to pray. A third principle is we are committed to the practice of biblical stewardship and our financial commitment to the ministry of our church. As the Canaan Church, we teach people we're not beggars, we're builders. We teach people to be responsible. The tithe is holy unto the Lord. So we don't have no games and gimmicks when it comes to the financial undergirding of our church. No chicken dinners, no fish fries, no baby contests. We ain't gonna pass the offering plate 25 times. We're gonna give our tithes and offering the first time and say, let the church roll on because we believe in being people of integrity. At the Canaan Church, we are committed to building community in our church by relating to one another with the unconditional love of Christ. The Bible says love covers a multitude of sins. All of us, all of us, all of us fall short of the glory of God. All of us on our best day, we mess up. But we don't throw each other away. We love each other through our mess. At the Canaan Church, we are committed to empowering others through servant leadership. At the Canaan Church, we say, check your ego at the door. Because the Christ we serve says, the Son of Man came not to be ministered unto, but to minister and to give his life as a ransom for many. If you're the kind of person where you need folk to stroke you all the time, then we got to lay hands on you and pray for you. Because at the Canaan Church, we build each other up through servant leadership. All of us want to serve one another. And if you have an attitude where you take the focus off yourself and put it on others, we will be a healthy congregation. 
At the Canaan Church, we are committed to transforming our city, nation, and world as ambassadors of Christ. I've been teaching to this church for now for 39 years that we're not here to sit on the corner. We're here to change the corner where we sit. We ought to have such influence in this city that we're literally changing Louisville, Kentucky for the better. Why? Because Jesus says that we are the salt of the earth. He said we are the light of the world. When you read in the book of Acts of the early church, it said that by the time they got to Thessalonica, it was said of them, these who turned the world upside down have come here. If the first church could turn the world upside down, we ought to be able to turn a neighborhood over. We ought to be able to turn a community over and we ought to be able to turn a city over and then we can be in covenant relationship with churches around the nation to make America a better nation at the Canaan Church we are committed to bringing people into a saving relationship with Christ through lifestyle evangelism yes we are at Canaan Church we say we want everyone to bring one person to Christ every year if everyone brings one person to Christ every year, our church will literally double in size. I've been preaching since I was 19 years old. Pastor's now 67. I've preached in some of the largest African-American churches across this nation. Many of our churches grow through popularity. The popularity of the music, the popularity of the preacher. We have outstanding Christian music at the Canaan Church. Come on, I said we have outstanding Christian music at the Canaan Church. And God knows I take serious the proclamation and the teaching of this word. I think I've been found guilty of teaching and preaching. But I'm not trying to be a celebrity. I don't want Canaan to grow by popularity. I want Canaan to grow by proclamation. That means that each one of you should be saying, I'm not going to let a year in wherein I don't bring at least one person to Christ and into this church. And if we all do that year after year, our church will keep on doubling year after year. And it's not about trying to be the largest church or the greatest church. It's about being faithful and about being fruitful. There has to be mega churches. If God says he's called us to reach the world, and if we're going to reach the world, we're going to have some mega churches. Ain't nothing wrong with being a mega church. What was it, 150,000 people at Churchill Downs yesterday? to watch some horses run and the favorite didn't win and the favorite hadn't won for the last several years but 150,000 people went to Churchill Downs to see the favorite lose well then in the church of the Lord Jesus Christ we have someone running right on King Jesus no man can hinder thee and he never loses the race. He just keeps on winning and keeps on winning and keeps on winning and keeps on winning. And if we have a sure winner in Jesus, why would we not expect 150,000 and more to come see him run? Because he is the Rose of Sharon. He's always in the winner's circle.
So we make no apologies about bringing people to Christ. And then there's an eighth principle. We are committed to worshiping God in spirit and in truth. Oh, beloved of God, worship is not about being emotionally tickled. Oh, it's so much deeper than that. Jesus said to the Samaritan woman, he says, you all do not know who you worship. Read it for yourself in John's gospel. He, he said to her, you all do not know who you worship, but we know who we worship. You're talking about whether we worship at Mount Gerasim or in Jerusalem. Jesus says the day is coming. It ain't going to be about Mount Gerasim or Jerusalem. He says, God is a spirit. And those who worship him must worship him in spirit and in truth. Do you not know, beloved, that you can physically show up at church and still be absent? Because you can sit in here and have your mind on everything else but God. Watching your watch, thinking about what you're going to do when you get out of church, thinking about something that went wrong yesterday, already forecasting a problem you got in the future, instead of sitting here with your mind staying on Jesus. Do you understand that the goal of worship is to get behind the veil? And when the praise team is singing, they're not singing to entertain you. They're singing to help usher you into the very presence of God. They're singing to give him glory, to give him honor, and to give him praise. That's why we worship God in the beauty of holiness. When you leave your home, you ought to leave your house saying, I'm going to go to church. I'm going to walk into his gates with thanksgiving and to his courts with praise. I'm going to open up my mouth. I'm going to give God the fruit of my lips. I'm going to stand. I'm going to wave my hand I'm going to scream I'm going to holler because the God I serve he's worthy to be praised I don't need him to do nothing new to give him some praise I praise him for the rest of my life on what he's already done because the fact of the matter he's been better to me than I've been to myself and if he don't do anything else I don't need him to do anything else for me to give him glory to give give him honor to give him praise he gave me the very best that he had he gave his son Jesus Christ died on a cross for the remission of my sins he had done no wrong but God made him who knew no sin to become sin that I might become the righteousness of God in Christ herein is love not that we first loved God but that he first loved us and gave his son to be the propitiation for our sins sins. I'm covered by the blood. The reason why the devil can have no victory in my life is because every time he looks at me, he sees that I'm covered by the blood. You think knowing that I'm covered by the blood, you think I'm going to come to church realizing that I serve a Christ who wakes me up every morning and starts me on my way. You think I'm going to come to church and then not give God glory. He's the one that keeps putting food on my table and 
keeps putting clothes on my back and put a shelter over my head. You think I'm going to sit here like a, like a knot on a log and hear God gives me protection every day to and fro from work. You think I'm not going to give God some glory and I know he's the center of my joy. He's the source of my strength. I'm saying like Paul, I am what I am by the grace of God. Where would I be if I didn't have God on my side? We don't come to church to be quiet. We come to church to make a joyful noise unapologetically. You ought to sit tell the person beside you, if my praise disturbs you, get over it because I just got started. The long I'm in here, the louder I'm going to get because the long I'm in here, the more I'm going to think about what the Lord's done for me and the more I think about it, the louder I'm going to get. I wish I had some radical praises in here today. I wish I had somebody that's not ashamed to stand on their feet, that's not ashamed to wave their hand, that's not ashamed to open their mouth. I wish I had somebody that knew how to shout glory. I wish I had somebody that knew how to shout hallelujah. I wish I had somebody that could look at somebody and tell them you don't know like I know know what the Lord has done for me because he's brought me from a mighty long ways these are the eight core principles and values that under that, that undergird and serve as the foundation for the ministry of our church and so I I close this teaching now. One spiritual book in Isaiah 43. Behold, I do a new thing. Oh, God says, you've been in a pandemic, but I kept you, and I'm bringing you out. And God says, don't you keep looking in the past. God says, I need you to look forward because I'm about to do a new thing. The other spiritual bookend then is Ephesians chapter 3, verse 20. Come on, hook it up. Isaiah, God says, behold, I what? I do a new thing. Don't keep looking in the, in the past. Look ahead for what I'm about to do. Now, unto him who is able to do exceedingly, abundantly, above all that you ask or think, according to the power that worketh in you. God says, I'm getting ready to do a new thing. And as you come to me in prayer, and as you start asking me for what you want to see happen in your life, or what you want to see happen in the life of our church, God says, I'm going to do exceedingly abundantly above all that you ask or think, according to the power that works in you. Oh, beloved, God's about to do something miraculous. God's about to do something magnificent 
magnanimous God is about to show up in your life with miracles, with signs, and with wonders. Because the God that we serve, he's the God that gave Noah a rainbow after the flood. The God that we serve, he's the God who gave Abraham a ram on Mount, uh, on Mount Moriah when Abraham was told to steal his hand and not take his son Isaac. The God that we serve, he's the God that gave Moses victory at a red sea with nothing but a shepherd's rod in his hands. The God that we serve, he's the God that made the sun stand still for Joshua. The God that we serve, he's the God who that fire fall from heaven and consume the bullock off the altar for the prophet Elijah. The God that we serve, he's the one that kept three Hebrew boys in a fiery furnace. The God that we serve, he's the God that let a little poor girl by the name of Esther become the queen in the Persian Empire and gave us such courage that she says, I'm going to see the king. And if I perish, let me perish, but I'm going to see the king. The God that we serve is the God that stood up in a storm one day in a boat on the Sea of Galilee and said, peace be still. And then the, the sea got still like a perfect picture. The God that we serve, he's the God that delivered Paul and Silas out of a Philippian jail with a midnight rock. The God that we serve, he's the God that raised Lazarus from the dead and said, loose him and let him go. The God that we serve is the God where a woman who had had an infirmity for 12 long years just touched the hem of his garment and she was made whole. The God that we serve, he's the God that raised Dorcas from the dead. The God that we serve, he's the God that changed the life of a man named Saul, turned him into a Paul and let him honeycomb the world with the good news of Jesus Christ. The God that we serve is the God that took care of your grandmama and your granddaddy. The God that we serve is the God that made a way for your mama and your daddy. The God that we serve is the God that gave you strength this morning. The God that we serve is the God that keeps you in your right mind. Oh, Jesus, the God that we serve is the God that gives you peace that passeth all understanding. The God that we serve is the God that gives you a joy that the world didn't give and the world can't take it away. Now unto him who is able. Does anybody know our God is able? Now unto him who is able to do exceedingly abundantly above all that we ask or think to him be glory in the church. Yes. I'm tr let me, I'm trying to teach. is able I said he's able he's taken us from grace to grace and from glory to glory 
Practice these principles. Practice these core values. And if you practice them, you're going to see miracles. And you're going to see signs. And you're going to see wonders in your life. Behold, I do a new thing, saith the Lord. represent the church no matter where we are so stay connected and reach others as we grow in Christ